Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and Paul and I are going to talk about the big stories that have appeared on his website, Common Sense with Paul Jacob, that he's been working on since 1999. And the URL is thisiscommonsense.org. So this is the last week of October 2022. So I think you're going to have to tell us, myself and our audience, who Mike Resnick is. But I first want people to care who Mike Resnick might be because he says the second you attain power, you become what you've been fighting against. And we might quibble with his his time sense. Right. Uh, but I think there's something pretty profound about what he uh about the uh, foundation of what he's saying. Well, Mike Resnick was a science fiction writer. And he died fairly recently. Uh, he's best known, I'm looking up right now, uh, what have I read of his? I've read a number of books by him. Uh, but now I'm trying to think of what they are. Um, huh. Well, that's odd. I thought I knew more about him than I seem to. <laughs> Uh, it's funny. I, I think it's extra funny because my wife reads on a Kindle. Yeah, you know, that newfangled. That'll never catch on. It's never going to catch on. Books, solid printed books or uh, paper. You know, that's what we need. But anyway, she's always reading those, and she gets like all these different books. You know, they're like free books as part of something she's part of. But a lot of times, because it's not lying around and you don't see the title a bunch of times, and because she reads faster than I do, it's like, I'll say, well, what are you reading? Oh, I forgot what the title was. And I'm thinking, how can you be reading a book and not know what the title is? Of course, you read these books a long time ago. But but uh, anyway, that's what that's what flashed in my little, little piece. Well, you know, literally until right now, I thought that he was... Uh, Keith Laumer, who I've read a lot of, who wrote, uh, and I thought that was because they have, I don't know why they have, to me, they have similar names Keith Laumer, Mike Resnick. They're not that similar. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, and I've, I've read a lot of uh, the uh, uh, science fiction uh, diplomacy books of uh, Keith Laumer. And I thought that's what Mike Resnick was. And this was a book of his I'd never read. Well, it turns out I've not read any Mike Resnick except in, in the science fiction magazines. And that's probably the only place I've ever read them. So well, maybe we should start reading him because he's on to something. Yeah. He's uh, he's he's right, and of course, this is what's behind term limits and uh, uh, and a lot of things that that power has a corrupting influence, and and we think about it in the bad criminal corruption. I took a big payoff. I did this. I did that. I didn't really, but you know, and uh, but there's an intellectual corruption too. There's a Geez, I sure am an important person. Everyone wants to put a microphone in my face and interview me. And boy, I, you know, I have to weigh these different things. And woe is me because I have to run society. And they're they're occasionally, just every so often, uh, just a little touch of arrogance kind of wisp into the room, <laughs> just a smidgen, and uh, not in Washington, but it could happen someday. Anyway, uh, it's it's uh, it is the human condition, and it's it's one of the best things about our framers. They didn't always necessarily judge the future so well, 
but at least they understood that um, people are fallible and people are corruptible. And, you know, sometimes in our nostalgia and our, oh, the founders and the great things they did, and they did great things. We have this almost like they were super people and, well, you know, and they sure didn't think so. They certainly didn't believe that for a second. And if you read the the founders from, you know, uh, really it's ubiquitous in their, in their writing and talking that they're constantly aware of how corrupting government is. And it's really, uh, I mean, that Mike Resnick quote at his apothem, uh, it's really, I'm really distracted. My dog is scratching himself on my chair. I'm bouncing all over the place because my dog is in a frenzy. I have to get him out of the room here in a second. But aside from my dog, it's Lord Acton's uh, line about power tends to corrupt. That's really another translation of that idea. Right. Uh, And did you see or listen to uh, Matt Walsh's interview with Tulsi Gabbard this week? No, I did not. It's worth listening to. in part because he asked her point blank about, I mean, she's basically saying the Democratic Party is really corrupt and that they have corrupt, uh, you know, they have corrupt relations. They get rich off of, you know, what they're doing. They, they you know, it's all top down. The elite, I mean, the elites are in control of everything in, a, in, in an odd way. And, and, and there's a lot of money involved. And, you know, Matt asks uh, the obvious questions. Well, what do they think they're doing? Do they think that they're corrupt? And she says, no, they think they're great people. Uh and and the corruption they there. have to navigate the corruption i'll take that uh just you know to to make the world a safe and good place right well i mean of course they have all these high-minded deals and as uh, one of the points this week was was just where the democratic party is this week or this uh, right now in, in history and they've you know they have two famous politicians biden in office and john fetterman running for uh, the uh, Pennsylvania slot as U.S. senator, um, and they're both have things wrong in their head. They're not. They're obviously not all with us now. What to what extent they're, that is? They're very not fine. As, yeah, that's always uh, your term. As, yeah. as we said in uh, "Good Night, Mr. Fetterman." Uh, you know, it, it is, and we could we could start right there, uh, Tim, in, in the sense that. We have noticed, and I don't know if we've ever quite said it. Maybe even here, we don't we don't deal with that per se because we're we're talking about Fetterman mostly here. But Biden is president of the United States. You know, both of us have some questions about his his uh, honesty and integrity, but also huge questions about just his mental acuity and and. You know, this guy is he's got his finger on the button. You know, we heard all about Trump and and his temperament might have been an issue, but his acuity didn't seem to be as much. We heard nothing but uh, the 25th Amendment. I mean, I didn't even really ever think of it before Trump was president. And then it was, oh, we've got to get him out because he's crazy or he's he's unfit or he's incapable. Now we have a president who you know, kind of stumbles around on stage and doesn't know quite where to walk off. And, you know, generally how to walk off of a stage after you've given a speech has not been a big sticking point for U.S. presidents. And even when they're up in years, 
they have kind of thought, well, I'll walk this way. And they even, you know, they take one step after the other and they may not be, you know, uh, 20 year old superstars, but they can walk. And this is not a leg problem with Joe Biden. This is a mental issue. And again, it, this isn't, a, you know, look, I sometimes I play Jeopardy. I'm just not as fast in coming up. I know the answer and I can't bring it up like I could 20, 30 years ago. And it happens. And it's not I'm not making fun of myself because of that. I'm trying hard. I'm not making fun of Joe Biden. He's clearly, you know, as much as he's not nearly as smart as he's told everybody he is. If you're familiar with the different tapes of him telling just bald-faced lies about how he graduated with this scholarship and this honor and so on. But anyway, he's not a dumb guy. He is an old man right now, and he's not really up to the job. And I think people knew that going in and basically said, he's our best chance to win the presidency to stop Donald Trump, they probably were right about that. And uh, certainly they it's very plausible. And uh, and so we end up getting kind of the, uh, what's the, I want to say, Peter, what's the guy's name who did the, uh, oh, he was the, the gardener or whatever, the famous. Pants the gardener in, uh, yes. in being there. Uh, Peter Sellers is his oh, uh, actor. actor. Yes, yeah. being there, being there. And uh, that's a Jerzy Kosinski novel made into a into a movie. Yes, and I think it won Best Picture or something. It got a lot of. Oh, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful movie. I have seen it, but I don't know that I've ever seen it from the beginning to the end. because ah. uh, it was on TV a lot. Uh, but um, interesting film. But it it's uh, it, you know it's basically we picked you know we not we but the democrat the the and it was the high up establishment everybody went along with it all of a sudden he's he's you can't see him being the nominee and then all of a sudden he's the nominee and everybody has stepped back and coordinated him and um and we see sort of the same sort of thing in uh with fetterman and uh that that you know people are okay that he's he's not really up to that job. And I know there's certain things he could use that can help him. And I have nothing against him, like him using the, the, uh, I don't know what it's even called, but the, the, the stuff. The teleprompter that was, system. Yeah. That, that whole system. Uh, bully for him. Great for technology. That's why we have technology. So I don't have any problem with that. It, the biggest problem in that debate was his just bald face lie. The fact that he's on tape saying, I've never supported fracking at all, not in any way. I'm not for fracking. I'm not for fracking. And then saying, I've always supported fracking. I'm for fracking. I support fracking. I've always supported it. You can say you're for it now. You just can't say I've always been for it. And then when he's confronted with that, it's a non-response. And that's that's not something where it's just like, oh, he really had a great response. But because of the stroke, and this is just a few more days of healing, he's he's not able to give the response. No, he had no response. He had no response other than to double down on, I'm lying to you. You know I'm lying to you. I know I'm lying to you. I mean, the, the, maybe the problem with Fetterman is he's not up to lying 
with the kind of panache that you expect from politicians. So um, it's it really is something that that uh, people will they'll put up with almost anything to win that seat. And it's part of it is demonizing the other side. We have to win no matter what, because the other side is so terrible. And I look at one side and then I look at the other and I think, well, you've got a lot of, you've got a ton of evidence for that position. But, um, but I have to say, and I, I, I know you uh, agree, uh, you might put it a, a different way. So feel free to, but, I usually vote for Republicans and and I certainly recognize that anybody can can highlight a certain issue that they think is so important or a group of issues that they think is so important that even though, you know, this they're bad on most issues or on that issue or this one over here, the ones they care about most, this person is good on and they're going to vote for that person. I'm with you. I understand that's we're all using an imperfect system. I, I'm I'm a small D Democrat. I like democracy. It's an imperfect system. And uh, and so, you know, we're all trying to use it the best we can. And and so I don't have any any problem with people voting for whatever reason. But I tend to vote for Republicans much more than Democrats. And I think the biggest part of it is um, they talk about a government with some limits, even though they fail a lot, I find that because they actually like that to some degree, they just get caught, you know, being for it at different times. Whereas Democrats are just so effusive in their belief that government can do all things always, that they are absolutely more frightening to me. And, and, uh, and I'm sure that, that, uh, you know, individual results may vary. So that doesn't mean that, geez, every uh, every Republican tyrant is better than a Democratic tyrant. But but anyway, that's that's kind of how I look at it. I have a slightly different way of looking at it, but it's on the same lines. I think that much of politics is there's there's sort of two elements. There's the power play and all the work and all the positions that you take and the laws you want or whatever. But then there's the fantasy. Much of politics in a dem- democracy is fantasy. Actually, I think we'd say all politics has to have an element of fantasy because the reality of it is too gruesome for anyone to really uh, stand. You need yes. to have fantasy. Yes. And the fantasy of Democrats for a long time has been wavering between technocracy and socialism. They're, t- they're all technocrats, yes, but some of yes. them are actually, they, they, they really love socialism and they wish it would work. I've, a man on the street Democrats, I, I mean, I have neighbors who will say, well, you know, socialism is such a good theory. Well, I look at socialism and I think it's a horrible theory. Right. I don't see anything good in it. And I think it's bad. I think it makes people worse people. And I can go on and on about that. But the nice thing about Republicans is their fantasy is liberty. They do have a fantasy of liberty in this in similar ways that I right. do. Now they're not very good about it because they're also progressives. Almost all of them. Right. Who, who among them, like like me, opposes Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid? And I'm I mean I I think actually that the welfare state. I'm now in the position that it's actually the first thing we should get rid of because it's so awful for the for the for the population. So I've changed big on this in the last five five years. Watching the Democrats become more and more openly socialist has made me much more anti-welfare state. Uh, 
but the, de- the Republicans are you know embarrassing because it's a fantasy. It's, I mean, everybody has fantasies. I, I also think a lot of these uh, very religious Republicans aren't very religious, really, but they are. You know, you know, fake religiosity. The people who pray in public a lot, and you wonder if they're really, you know, are they really praying, or are they just making a show? Well, I think their liberty is a lot of that show too, and they don't really know how to handle the fantasy and the reality. So. I like Republicans because we share a fantasy. I'm more serious about it. <laughs> but they also share other fantasies. They think that Social Security can work with a with a Democratic Republic. I don't think it can. I don't think I think that Social Security will always be, in the way it's construed, will always be a long cycle debacle. It's always a problem when you're you're pitching debts on a on a generation right. that in some cases hasn't been born yet right it's a real problem but but in that particular case uh you know you had you had george w talk about it after he had won big in in 2004 and they didn't really do much of anything but i think that's i think that's less that they're really for it so much and more that they recognize the political reality that yes, I could fight that, but then I would be home, you know, watching Congress on T on C span or something instead of instead of actually there. And so, and so there's, that, there's a that's compromise. an element of it too, I think. Of course. But it's also part of the problem. And so people wonder why do we have a problem in politics? Why are we these huge impasses? Why can't we get out of the mess we're right. in? And why can't we? Because People won't confess to the mess we're in. They don't really want to deal with it. Right, because they'll charge somebody else with a mess, but they never seem to think the Congress I've been a part of has been a mess, right. which it has. But, right. you know, here's something on the other side of it that I find kind of interesting on the Democratic side that happened this week. And I, I, I don't know that we'll write anything about it. I'm I'm. I'm kind of thinking, uh, you know, that it's 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 well, people see it for what it is, I think. Um, don't don't need need my help to explain, which they do with almost everything else. But so what uh, is it? So what is it? What is it? What is it? <laughs> the Progressive Caucus in Congress um, put sent a letter to Biden. Many of them had signed on to it this summer, saying we want you to negotiate with Russia. Uh, this is a dangerous situation. We should try to negotiate and dampen the possibility of a wider war of nuclear attacks, you know, use of nuclear weapons, um, which now, of course, you know, if Putin says he's going to use them, he's not going to use them, you know, it's like you wouldn't believe him one way or the other. So it, it kind of, to me, it's it's kind of silly to get too hyped up about it because, you know, it, it, he's, he's, he can use that very effectively. But it's a, it, as we've discussed in previous podcasts and, and off of podcasts, you know, nuclear war isn't really a very good thing to, to tiptoe around. Um, and uh, especially if you're sticking your toe in to see how the water is. Um, and so they sent a letter, 30 of them signed it. And... And, and in the Washington Post, the one person said, oh, the staff sent it when they weren't supposed to or something, which was so obviously not true anyway. But but then they withdrew it because some of them are in tight races and they're going to get beaten up with, well, there as as Ukrainians are fighting and dying, 
so-and-so is ready to cut and run and not give them the, the resources and so on. And um, so there's, you know, I, I saw, and I think I mentioned this to you. Um, I watched a video, I watched a, a good bit of videos and, and I like watching stuff from Australia because of course it's in English and they're right there and, you know, kind of right close to Southeast Asia. And they're very attuned to what's happening in China and Japan and Taiwan and so on. Are you watching ABC or Skynet? Sky News. Uh, both, both ABC and Skynet. Sky News. Sky, Sky, Sky News, right? Sky News. Sky News. Skynet yeah. is the thing that the, the computers take over and destroy humanity. So it's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not as big on Terminator. That. <laughs> yeah. But no, Sky News is is I think very good and uh much more conservative, uh, but has a lot of good stuff. But ABC, I watched a thing on ABC and I'm yelling at the, you know, I yell at the TV, I yell at the computer when I'm watching it. What are you talking about? You know, and and uh, they they said a number of things that were crap. And then other people they had on said wonderful stuff. But they had like five. It was a, a nearly hour long program, probably with commercials. I was seeing it on YouTube, so it didn't have commercials. Um, but but they were talking about. Uh, where Australia was vis-a-vis -vis China, any sort of invasion of Taiwan, where the U.S. is, what should be done, so on and so on. And it's not the conclusion that they reached, and they didn't all agree in the end any more than they did at the beginning. It was nearly an hour of people talking about the issue in an intelligent, knowledgeable way with opinions that were very much opposed to each other without anyone screaming and going crazy, but also without anybody cut off in the sense that, oh, you can't say that, or you can't say this. And, and it's just, I just, I remember thinking two or three times through it. And then at the end of it, you just never see this on us television. You just never see. And you used to, when we were teenagers, when we were 20-somethings, and this is a long time ago, unfortunately, this is like 40 years ago, uh, I remember that Tom Snyder, one of my goals in life was to be on the Tomorrow Show at midnight with uh, Tom Snyder, you know, a show that that I could be up in time for. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but he was off the air kind of before I uh, was able to, to snag that, unfortunately. But it was he would talk with people. And he would talk, it wasn't all talking to politicians, it wasn't all talking to celebrity, you know, to listen to some Hollywood person who's been divorced 62 times, tell you how marriage works and stuff. And, you know, it wasn't ridiculous stuff. It was thoughtful people. It might be, you know, maybe he'd land a John Lennon or, a, or somebody like that, but it would be a thoughtful discussion. It wasn't crap. It wasn't all just political crap being thrown back and forth or celebrity crap. And, uh, and, and we don't get that anymore. So we've been discussing good night, Mr. Fetterman. That was today's piece. <laughs> October 28th. I, I just thought, thought I should bring in that you do, you do write five pieces a week and we should talk about it. Cancel, everybody cancel your plans this weekend. <laughs> You're not going to be able to do those things after all. Good anyway. night, Mr. Fetterman. So that's that's what we've been talking about. And also just a bit the main uh, stories of the week. Uh, I must say that I have the Tulsi Gabbard interview on my mind a lot because 
here's a person who, when we talk about where the Democrats are, well, the Democrats, I think, I think we've known a number of things for uh, some times about where they've been heading, but the ease with which the establishment rejected Tulsi Gabbard, who was getting, you know, in the primaries, was getting the most electorate traction. She had the most Google requests after debates. She was yes. the one everybody's Google googling, and Google suppressed her ads for one 24-hour period. That's right. Right after a big to-do. So too. so she couldn't capitalize on the interest in her campaign because Google was putting pressing its finger on the button, apparently, for Biden. And that's very interesting to me. At least, uh, apparently, well, at least not for the person who was the most anti-war. And that was, of course, what Google hugged them. I think that's the key issue. I mean, I don't know that it might have been because of Biden or something else. <clears throat> I don't think you have to even get there. Right. The fact that she was taking on the industrial military industrial complex and the whole worldwide empire is a big deal. And uh, and it and it's interesting. I should point out that, you know, um, I don't like the worldwide empire. I don't want us to be a worldwide empire. And yet. I think that there are roles the U.S. has to play, and and it's interesting. I'm I'm sure I'm more of a hawk than uh, than uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard is uh, at this point, but it's it you know you you don't do any of any of these things any good any whatever your position is for everyone to shut up about it and not have any of this debated. It's it's uh, when I think I'm hoping that the U.S. And I hope Germany and I hope UK and Australia and Japan will step up and not let China grab Taiwan and enslave those 24 million people, 23.56 to be exact. Uh, but it's not going to, I, we can't trick them into it. We, we're not, I mean, in other words, I want the American people to actually say, oh, well, I, I've weighed this. And yes, let's do it or let's not. And and should that be the, you know, it seems to me that we would have much more of the foreign policy that I'm looking for, which is entering smart alliances to keep as much of the world free and navigable uh, and tr where trade can flourish as possible with the least amount of suffering and death that we have to go through as as uh, soldiers as taxpayers as whatever and and anyway it it uh it it doesn't serve us well for our leaders to run around when we're strong throwing out we've got everybody's back we'll fight every battle we're the we're the military we've got it all we're a superpower that is stupid and uh, we've been doing it for a long time. It's much better. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt, I can't stand him. Because, of course, Teddy Roosevelt at one point said, we need a good war. You know, he thought war was a way oh, yeah. for a country to get manly and so on. But he was right about speak softly and carry a big stick. You want to be the big, strong guy who's not the bully and the loudmouth, but who is the quiet guy? And you see these guys all the time. I mean, we all went to school or you meet them in the workplace or whatever. And it's the big guy who's awfully nice because he he doesn't need to beat anyone up. He's big. Nobody's picking on him. 
but he's not a bully. He's a good guy. And, and everybody likes that guy. And it seems to me that should be the U.S. of A. Don't be a bully. Don't be a jerk. You know, take Google up on their, uh, what is it, their motto, don't be evil or something. Yeah, the most embarrassing motto in the history of modern corporate <laughs> life. We've you know, thoroughly you, considered this, and I think we're going to kind of lean on the side of don't be evil. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're going to have that as your motto, I think that you should be uh, especially careful to stick to it. Uh, and they've been unable to do that. Uh, yes. But my, my, I guess my big difference with you is I just I don't think that America is any place anymore or the world is in any place right now to do much to stand up to tyranny because it's all falling apart and so that you know that's one of the things about domestic and foreign policy is that you really have to have your domestic house in order to be able to do all the things you think you need to do in the world and that's that's sort of what, what uh, yes. jordan peterson says about individuals uh, but before you become, want to change the world maybe you should leave a you know get a job and you know you know do, do a few you know clean up you know get married have children blah 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 uh people like me who don't have children shouldn't you know be you know, talking politics at all of course uh but uh but uh, the point is that's a similar case with the big nations that have you know big armies is that they're everything's falling apart including the armies there's only one only one branch of the uh you know, of the military might of the United States that's competent right now, and that's the Marines. All the others are affected deeply by the woke nonsense, and they've been heavily crippled by by just not being a fighting force and not being competent and be, trying to be, you know, do the thing that Democrats want them to do, you know, have write a number of women in, involved, that uh, they're promoting people on the basis. You know, there's a lot of weird promotions going on in the, in, in the Army and Navy and Air Force. And the, I mean, there's a, there's a number of military people who are just utterly aghast at how bad the military is now. They don't believe it's capable a capable fighting force, except for the Marines. Yeah, I don't I don't go that I think they're I think they're overhyping it, but I think they're right about, you know, the 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 uh, branches have been short on their recruitment and I do think that that is because of people have kind of decided and it's a million different decisions, you know, probably not a million, but it's a bunch of different people making decisions and it's not as attractive to the very people who are likely to join the military because it's got all this woke bs right and and that's a real factor and i think it will i mean I, i'm i'm not i'm not really disagreeing that there's all kinds of things going on and they're negative toward a military force that actually does what you want a military force to do which is fight wars and and win them um but i'm just i'm i think sometimes uh, it's it's like been hyped that China will just crush us in any sort of thing in in Asia, and and you know you read a bunch of it and you, sometimes it leans that way or the other, but I think that there's I think there's a lot of uh, of hype like that, and I think they overhype the degree. I mean, I I still you know you talk to somebody who's in the military and it's not like you know they're not all transgender not every one of them sure <laughs> but, but 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 problem because the truth is it i mean i think you could have a military where you got some transgender people in there who can fight i don't i don't know i don't know enough about the military but but i'm interested in a military that can fight and i think 
I think if you if you keep the politicians out of it, the military will be too. And they'll do if it's better to have, you know, women in combat role here or there, they'll do it. If not, they won't. I'm 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 good on uh, on them making the first choice. But the you mentioned something really important though is who are they recruiting? The the main lot of recruits have been rural white southerners and midwesterners for a very very long time and the dominance of uh woke in the democratic party and in the military and it's there you can see it in their ads it is uh, is turning those people off and i wouldn't i wouldn't fight for that group either and why would you fight for people who hate you they i mean that's the interesting thing about the democrats is that they are seething with hate for white rural men white Christian, white, heterosexual. Oh, now you're men. really going to load it up. Well, I mean, that's, but that's what it is. That is what whom they hate. Uh, I mean, oh, I'm, I, I don't qualify. Like, I don't qualify. And, and, and it goes that far. They're not only white, they're not yeah. only male, they're not only living in a rural area, but my goodness, they're Christian. Yeah, well, that's that's a huge issue. I mean, the, the, it's, a, it's a really weird place this country is in right now. And that's one of the things that's interesting about, you know, good night, Mr. Fetterman. Uh, uh, I don't remember I do if you think... were dealing with this any of the rest of the week, though. Were you dealing with this uh, sort of culturally? Well, we you should, actually dealt with a lot of little back. issues, right? We should jump back to uh, we should jump back to uh, uh, Mondays, which is about China and and uh, Xi Jinping and so on. But uh, but I, I was just going to say that um, now I'm going to forget my train of thought, so I'm not going to say it. Uh, oh. But uh, but it's lost for all time now. Well, you know that happens a lot in conversations. Like, if an asteroid hit, I was going to warn about it. But uh, tyranny without limits—that was the Monday piece. Tyranny without limits, and and uh, this is the close of the of the twentieth uh, uh, Congress of uh, in of the Communist Party of China, and Xi Jinping. This is uh, this is something we wrote five years ago. We wrote about the Congress then because Xi Jinping had just been. Uh, elected by this tiny group of people who actually they don't they don't like democracy, but it's okay for them to practice it. Of course, sometimes if you practice it wrong in in their cadre, you may uh, may find yourself let out of the room unceremoniously. And of course, that's one of the things that happened this time. But I'll get to that. But five years ago, they gave Xi Jinping a second term, and they got rid of term limits. We wrote about it at the time. It uh, it's a serious thing. They instituted term limits because of what happened with Mao. Mao was a nightmare. Mao killed hundred million plus Chinese people. Some of them he can get away with saying, "Well, I just was so stupid in my policies that I created massive starvation that killed people." But then others, of course, you know, he had someone actually strangle them or smash them with a club or torture them until they were dead or what have you. But Mao was a monster, and he was not just a monster of evil. He was also a monster of stupidity. But he, it was one-man rule. And so even the communists, you know, I'm not usually that hip with all their ideas, but they recognize one that, the, hey, this is an age-old Republican democratic type ideal and that is limiting power and so they instituted term limits well now they're gone and you can see in a society in which power is so important 
maybe it's harder to keep term limits, uh, but they're gone. And, and uh, people at the time on social media, of course, they scrubbed all the things they said on social media, but were livid that, oh, this is going to be a big problem. One guy said, oh, my goodness, we're going to become North, North uh, Korea. And, um, and of course, this is leading now that Xi Jinping has his third term, this is leading to one man rule where other mistakes are going to be made and serious mistakes. And it means that the repression in the country can get worse because there's the reformers aren't there. Not that they were great reformers, but, but uh, the, the aftermath, they're talking about how this is a war cabinet. These are all the closest people. There are no folks who are considered reformers, even by the non-reforming uh, communist party apparatchiks, but also you saw the end of the last day and Hu Jintao, who was the president, you know, leader before Xi Jinping, let out kind of unceremoniously a couple of uh, young guys say, hey, uh, it's time to go. And uh, he's kind of befuddled as to what's going on. And then they're pulling him out. And uh, they don't do these things. You know, this isn't just, oh, this happened. This was planned. This was a message to people. Uh, I'm sure everybody in China got it, but I'm hoping everybody around the world got it. And it's a hugely frightening message. They are, I mean, you, you see this barreling toward World War III. And everything about this Congress is someone consolidating power and talking more aggressively. They were already talking pretty darn aggressively about attacking a free country 80 miles off the shore, uh, Taiwan, and, and continuing to do things like build up uh, artificial islands that they militarize in the South China Sea and so on and so on. There's a, a genocide going on. Everything is spiraling out of control in China. And China has the ability to, I think, inflict damage even greater than, of course, Russia could. Um, and and it's, it's a huge, huge problem. And I think our country, we have a leader who's not up to the job. And this is largely not discussed. Now, it's, it's kind of nice sometimes from my vantage point that this isn't a partisan issue, issue so much. Uh, you know, today, uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband was uh, somebody broke into their house and beat him up with a hammer. Supposedly he's in the hospital. Uh, they're not they're, they haven't released. They have the guy in, in uh, custody, but haven't said what it's about. My first thought was, was the CCP involved? You know they're they're all over the world with their secret police folks and uh, and doing all kinds of things that are not legal to do, and uh, so it, it wouldn't shock me. But uh, the reason I thought about that is that it has been very bipartisan in Congress. The support for Taiwan, the sudden realization, thanks to Trump becoming president and and standing up to China, that China is a huge problem, a totalitarian genocidal bully with 1.4 billion people. Uh, and, and so, you know, this is, this is something that 
you know, I don't know. I, I'm always like to look at the bright side. I'm a pathological optimist. Um, China is readying to go to war and they have been for a while. Uh, one of the things I've learned from talking to getting more involved in it and talking to people who actually speak uh, Mandarin Chinese is that um, if you listen to the speeches and comments made in Mandarin by Chinese officials, they hate the United States. Uh, they want to overturn the United States from having any role in the world. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm almost sympathetic with that, but because I, so we'd all like to retire and not have to deal with the world so much. But they want to take over a role that's ugly. They want to suppress. And what I was about to say they want to suppress speech worldwide. But want to is a silly phrase there. Because they don't just want to. They are suppressing speech worldwide. And it's interesting. We had some comments uh We've talked about this before, um, how people look at, you know, uh, I'm talking about China. It's like, well, this is just a U.S., you know, flex your muscles, superpower competition. And it's like, I got no interest in that. I got no interest whatsoever in that. Um, I don't want the U.S. to suppress people's rights. And I don't want China to suppress people's rights. I don't care whether they're American or Chinese or anything else. I don't want them to do that. And we have pointed out how you can see the U.S. from Fauci when it comes to their style of medicine, their style of governance to others who they seem to like the way China does it, where the government has all the power. And Not So Free uh, had a comment on Monday's piece where she said, uh, I'm, I happen to know this person, and it, it, she is a she. Um, I even know her pronouns. How far are we away from this in our own country under the current regime? And uh, uh, Daniel Kean McKernan kind of answers her, uh, and I'll, I'll read what he has to say here in a second, but, um, but the only uh, quibble I'll have with what she had to say, her question is under the current regime, because this is not new. Uh, this is, and of course, uh, the Biden, as we call the current regime, uh, is, you know, who knows who's running it? Somebody in some part of the deep state somewhere is probably uh, signing off on certain decisions, I guess. Someone has to, and and it's probably not Joe Biden. Uh but this is this is ongoing that our I mean, think about Edward Edward Snowden and and the fact that, you know, they're grabbing up all our information. They'd like to have the same sort of surveillance police Nazi state that China has. And that's, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so, though, because they constantly are doing it and they've already violated all of our Fourth Amendment rights. Uh, to do it and kept doing it after it was public. It wasn't until the court said you can't do this anymore that they stopped. Oh, wait. Did they stop? You think they stopped, Tim? No. Yeah. I don't know anybody who thinks they stopped. This is a, this is a big problem, and it puts the whole China thing in a little bit of a different light that... Um, the question 
is not so much will our government step up, but will we step up in some way? Because I don't trust our government to step up against tyranny unless they're afraid that they have no other choice. Anyway, uh, Daniel answered this question by saying, "On the, uh, this is Daniel Kean McKernan, who's who's uh, often has thoughtful comments on on these commentaries. Uh, on the one hand, by showing whether incremental increases in the power of the state are showing where incremental increases in the power of the state lead, the Chinese example makes the denizens of America more wary of the projects of the progressives." and of the neoconservatives, which projects have effectively merged into one, which is also something important to realize, uh, that MSNBC and Fox News are almost always on the same side of any, any foreign entanglement. On the other hand, the Chinese state has shown our rulers, again, this is still Daniel, what can be done to their subjects. So our rulers have become less trepidatious in their goals. And I think he's right about that. And, and in fact, to me, that's, that's one of the arguments I make about uh, the Second Amendment, that we have no way to gauge a huge part of the benefit of the Second Amendment because what's going through the minds of the people representing us or ruling over us is different because they know there's certain things they cannot get away with. There's a hundred million guns out there in people's hands. Uh, they're not going to just be able to dictate everything. That makes a big difference. That changes the parameters of what sort of bad ideas they can, you know, kind of raise up the flagpole. And that makes a huge difference. Now, your next piece, Dr. Dead End from Tuesday, there's an affinity here with the subject matter because we have an insider group doing quite amazing things. For instance, continuing to fund gain-of-function research into bat viruses, which gave us this whole thing in the first place, as far as we can tell. And now Fauci funded uh, the Boston Group, which claims to have developed a new strain of the COVID virus uh, that has a, you know, way over 50% kill rate. Yeah, and yeah. They, they're good. When, when it comes to viruses that are lethal, man, we're, we're number one, USA, USA. But the interesting thing is that before uh, Fauci had to work with Wuhan, that is with China, the person, the group that you've been talking about for the last 15, 20 minutes. And now he's working just in Boston, in the United States. So that suggests to me that there's something really strange going on as far as uh, illegal government going on in the United States. Yes. It's, it's, it's against the law, basically, as far as I understand, to uh, use gain-of-function research. And it's certainly against all ethical standards that the industry of researchers promote. I mean, I've heard many, many uh, genetic researchers saying you just don't do this. Yes, I think you're right about the latter part. I don't I don't know that it's against the law. I think it's against the law for Fauci to fund it. But of course, that's what he's done. Yeah. And and they may try to somehow retreat back to their ridiculous position that this is not technically gain of function, even though clearly you've souped up this virus 
to gain function that it didn't have before that happens in this case in Boston, where our tax money, 2.5 million went to it, that's that turned it into a killer 80% of the time. Well, you know, how much do we want to invest to turn COVID into a better killer? Um, and, and look, I recognize there could be some medical value in some of these tests. This is, again, this is something that you don't have a right to play God with other people's lives. If this is a decision that, that gets made that the public is engaged in, why, one reason for the public to be engaged is that no matter what the decision is, there's going to be more buy-in. There are going to be more controls if we decide to allow certain risky research. There's going to be more fear if we say you can't for someone to go and do it because now they know they've got, and it's not just, oh, this one scientist here, I'll go work on the other side of the country. This is their laws. There are public that's going to remember that you did this that we didn't want you to do. It's it. We need that that sort of thing. But here, the the um, you know the interesting thing is no fear of the of the public of the media of anything else. Fauci is so compromised in having tried to block the lab leak theory. For obvious reasons, he gave the money to the guy who then gave the money to Wuhan to do the, if, if the lab leak's true, Fauci's at fault. It's as simple as that. And yet that they, nobody, the media doesn't seem to want to look into it. They always treated Rand Paul like, oh, he's, he's making up this ridiculous things. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And then it turns out, oh, he's right. Fauci's own National, you know, Institute for Health came out and admitted that the money went to gain a function in the past, that he was mistaken. Now, some of us who are really tired of Fauci's BS don't believe it was a honest mistake. But at the very least, it's that. And then we also come to this point now where we still have some mandates out there that people have to get the vaccine and it came out, what, a week ago, uh, that in testimony to the European Parliament, the uh, Moderna basically came out and said, hey, we never tested whether it would stop the spread. Now, that was um, Pfizer. That was, Pfizer. was it Pfizer? Yeah. I thought it was Moderna. Um, you, but, you, uh, you have it written as Pfizer here. Well, I would. I've never made a mistake writing. I mean, sometimes but talking. It was a Pfizer executive, but in testimony to the European Union. So, yes, but, <clears throat> but it's it's the sort of thing where, um, and then of course, as we point out in this piece, there was all this hoity-toity. Uh, well, technically, they didn't say that the virus would stop the spread or that the vaccine would stop the spread. Well. Of course, there are cases where, yes, they did, including Dr. Fauci. But, of course, the whole, the whole sense of everything they were talking about, you wouldn't say to somebody, this won't stop you from giving someone else the virus, but it might help you fight the virus. So we're going to mandate that you do it. If it only affects them, well, then they would, you would think you would give maximum freedom. And, and so there's there's no argument for the vaccine 
except to stop the spread. And I mean, there may be on an individual basis, but on a if if giving the vaccine, if you taking the vaccine doesn't do anything to stop you from spreading the disease to me, why do I care whether you take the vaccine or not? This is um, and and again, it's one of those things where all these people hate big pharma, but they just created like the biggest payday imaginable for big pharma. And they want to lock it in with force and troops and police. And it it's just bizarre. And now Pfizer is increasing the rates for their, their newest uh, vaccines uh, for COVID. You saw that, right? I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. They really went up a whopping uh, price, price hike. Still free. Still free to the American people, but. Taxpayers don't have to pay for it, I guess. Oh, I guess. taxpayers. Who's paying tax? Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's coming out of the federal government. Though I'm not I'm not sure where it's all going because, you know, it's, it's quite possible that uh, in, in two weeks uh, we're going to have a somewhat of an upset uh, in Congress and uh, some of these shenanigans might actually, is it possible, be curtailed? Is it possible? I don't know. I think, uh, I, I tend to think, Republicans are going to control both houses after this. And and I, I don't think the Senate's going to be 51 or 52. I think it's going to be 53 or 54. That's interesting. Republican. But uh, I certainly I, I don't know. Before once or twice. Yeah, I, I, I can't follow where people are going. I mean, if it were up to me, you know, the things would be very, very, very different. But so far, no one's uh, been listening much to me. So Well, you know, we should talk about cough it up which was uh, the next day's piece about uh, the ongoing lawsuit against the federal government about collusion, real collusion in censoring social media. Uh, and, And this is a case we've reported on several different times. We'll keep reporting on it. But it has people like Jen Psaki, who used to be the, uh, the, uh, the one of the worst press secretaries before the currently worst press secretary and uh, for Mr. Biden. And, uh, and she'd been at the state department where she, she lied pretty good there. Uh, but, but some of these folks who have been involved in this at high levels have now been told, yes, indeed, the other side can depose you and ask you about your meetings with different execs. Uh, with so uh, you know, big tech and uh, Facebook and Google and Twitter and so on, and uh, you know we're going to get hopefully a lot more information. I know that the media may not be interested in it. Uh, they haven't followed all the information that's come out about Fauci that just makes him clearly look like a partisan trying to stop the lab leak, and to this day. He can be interviewed on major media and talk about, well, I don't think it's likely, but I mean, anything's possible without them ever following up and saying, now, wait a second, weren't you involved in meetings early on and on email strings where you went to great lengths to try to block this whole theory? I mean, wouldn't you, shouldn't he be asked at some point by that about that? Only if, only if he comes to the uh, Senate. And Rand Paul's there. So that's about basically trying to get some transparency into the whole nonsense, the First Amendment rights violations concerning COVID and other things, too, during this last six yes. years, five, six yes. years of uh, 
of uh, the reaction against Trump and the reaction against people who disagree with with the Democrats. That's something that we we're following all the time. The you know the the different social media censorship because you know as a friend always says, oh they you know they're private companies they have a right to do certain things. Well, if they have a right to do it, then okay. But the second they don't have a right to do it and they're playing games with elected officials and public officials, uh, we're going to put a stop to it. And so we've been reporting a lot on that in the same way that we've reported a lot on uh, the lab leak and Fauci and this whole area of the of the virus, of, of the pandemic. It's not... Um, you know, it's it, it it doesn't require doctors to look at uh, you know the the lab leak versus zoonotic and so on. This is this is there. There's no real evidence. This is funny. After about a year of of saying there's no evidence for the lab leak, it was finally admitted that it ought to be kind of looked into. And then one of I can't remember who the guy was, but very well you know respected uh, scientist who said the truth is. There's no evidence for the zoonotic. There, there is some evidence, circumstantial, for the lab leak. I mean, there's some conjecture and different things that you could say, well, that's some evidence or some indication. But he pointed out there's no, I mean, in, in almost every other case, you find the animal. You see where the where the, the linkage was. And here, the other scary thing, and it's why, and if you come to the site and, you know, you, you uh, search for lab leak, you're going to get a lot of of material but it's just become more and more interesting to look into because it, it and it it wakes you up to just how how scary the world is you for instance they do an investigation in china they send all these people to china this is one of the things that i'll just i'll never to my dying day i'll never forget they have this investigation to china to go investigate the origin of the pandemic. It's a, it's a dog and pony show. It's a, they go there and they go to the Wuhan lab and someone gives a 20 minute talk and they do that. Oh, and here's our new, uh, Oh, they just painted this or whatever. There's no questions. They're not speaking to officials. They're not investigating it. And then you find out that the U.S. representative on this World Health Organization fact-finding mission investigation <laughs> of the Wuhan lab is none other than Peter Daszak, the guy with Echo Health Alliance, who's the bag man for the money from the from the NIH to the Wuhan lab. And I mean, if I had a newspaper, that'd be front page. There'd be like you'd have, you'd have follow up questions, and our media, yeah, it might be reported page sixty two in the thirteenth paragraph, whatever. It's like they don't care that they're lied to and tricked. They're part of the team doing the lying and the tricking. And and I say that it sounds crazy. But if you know this case, you know that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. My favorite moment from the the whole issue you're discussing here is is the is the headlines that then they were small headlines and they weren't the big paper story, but they were covered especially in Europe. 
that a hunk of Moderna patented D, uh, DNA was found in the SARS-CoV-2 virus. To me, that's actually more than circumstantial evidence. That's 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 just uh, it's evidence that yes. this was a, a lab origin that they thought. I guess oh, we'll just put put that together. Uh, it's really quite amazing what the what they're willing what they can do. Uh, whatever else we may say, the technicians in all this are are doing amazing work. They may kill us all, but they're doing amazing work. <laughs> well, we had one more piece, and uh, and and it may be timely. It's uh, the gun-toting ruling class, and maybe I should just suggest that if you can tote a gun, now might be a good time to get one to have around to tote whenever you need it. But uh, but this is uh, this was a piece talking about the recent uh, Supreme Court decisions following previous Supreme Court decisions that say that when it says you have a, a right to bear arms, you do. As an individual American, you have a right to bear arms. And that's what the Supreme Court has said. And yet in blue states, they continue to try to make it difficult for the average person to carry a gun. Now, these are people who believe in a classless society in which no one gets any benefit that's any better, no matter how much they work for it or anything else, everyone's exactly the same and equal in every way. But these are people who we see again and again might have a concealed weapon. They might not need one because, of course, they have a security detail that travels around with them that's armed. You know, I think I could do away with, you know, I I would I would I think if three or four, you know, armed people, uh that would probably uh that would probably, you know, do just fine. I wouldn't have to carry a gun. Um this is this is what we see again and again. And it's it's not called out because of course the media's on the side of no one having guns except important people. And so that's they're never going to see it. You can point it out to them all day. I guarantee it's been pointed out to them. They don't care. That's the way society should be. The smart people see the smart people get together and some of the smart people will decide what we do with our lives. And then other smart people will write it up really good and then they'll publish it to us dumb people. And we'll like we're supposed to applaud. I don't know. We may not be smart enough to. That's that's the world that they see. And so you think, well, they wouldn't support they wouldn't support like just a crushing, you know, totalitarian government that had the power to do anything it felt like at any time, would they? No, if it's coming from people they don't like. If they they fear Donald Trump might do that and they don't want that at all but they don't really have a problem doing it as long as it's done by really smart people, people like them. Well, that's the term that, uh, you know, Her Murray and Hernston used the cognitive elite. Uh, that is the true class society in America, I believe is, is the people that uh, have been taken through the educational system and put into governments and put into corporations. And that's how things are controlled. Uh, it's a new form of, it's kind of a new class system, and it's a rather interesting one. I have to, I I don't understand it fully, but it's the one to consider. And they do have their loyalties, and their strong loyalties. And you can see it most most clearly, clearly as you say, 
from the uh, media class, the people who yeah. produce and consume corporate media, uh, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the major networks and MSNBC and CNN. Uh, Fox does somehow escape some of that because they have uh, people like Tucker on who are not part of that elite somehow. Um, in fact, I want to think about that some more because I keep on remembering that weird John Stewart moment when he was on Crossfire and humiliated Crossfire into basically destroying itself. And Tucker Carlson was was he paired off against Begala? Was that who was the? I think that's right. I think that's who it was. I think that was a major turning point. I think John Stewart is in large measure responsible for uncorking the left and their ability to censure themselves and their hatred of the right. I I think that that's a I think he was a, a really important part of that, but I'm not he, quite sure how that works. I think he resurrected the Democrats in a sense, and was a uh, was a huge force that that people could be a Democrat. And they could look to John Stewart and not look to the to the Democratic Party in the same way that uh, by 2010, the Republicans, I think, were so discredited in 2008 and 2006 oh, sure. Sure. Uh, that they couldn't nobody. I mean, as much as people were mad at Obama and the Democrats, they couldn't think, oh, well, then I'm a Republican and the Tea Party was absolutely critical in allowing Republicans to win big gains because people could say, oh, no, no, I'm with the Tea Party. I'm with something that isn't full of crap. <laughs> and it's 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 very tough, I think, for the, the parties need that. They need some, some movement that people can feel. So I, I know very few people, people who've been very involved in the Republican Party, but don't call themselves Republicans. They call themselves conservatives. And, um, and I don't know if it's the same way as much in the Democrat, Democratic Party, because I, I haven't dealt with as much there. But I think it is. I think that's well, why progressive. years ago, progressives, right, they didn't want to say, I'm a Democrat, because that, right. could, that could mean they, you know, they were Sam Nunn or something. Yeah, and that and what's worse than that? But anyway, uh, no, yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, I, no, I hated Sam Nunn. He was I like, barely uh, remember. I barely remember him. He, it's had, amazing he had all the worst traits of Democrats, along with some of the worst traits of Republicans, in my okay. opinion. He was he was a true bipartisan uh, figure then. Big government, <laughs> uh, big military industrial complex guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we actually got through five of your pieces. That's pretty good. And you dealt with one thought of the day. So that's uh, worked out pretty well. We've had a thought. We've had commentary. Uh, and there's a whole other week. Uh, next week, we'll be on the cusp of the election. So we'll see if uh, we have... But it's not next call. Tuesday. It's the, it's the week from next Tuesday, right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Next okay. weekend, when we do this, it'll be the cusp of election day okay well i i need to find my ballot i guess somewhere in the house i have you know it's mail ballots for a long time in my state yes I, I hate them so much because i can remember to vote on a tuesday but the idea of remembering where i put the envelope that's that's just beyond me you know in virginia uh i'm doing some work in in new hampshire and in um, uh, michigan michigan has absentee voting but uh uh doesn't have early voting. So other than the absentee, which is probably a little less than half, half the people vote on election day. And then New Hampshire 
has 90% plus voting on election day. And it's really interesting because you can do things late, like in a lot of the country, half the votes already in when the, the Fetterman debate uh, with Oz, half the vote is already in. So no matter what happened in the debate, they can't change their vote. And I've already voted in Virginia. <clears throat> we have off year, off, off year, odd year elections for governor, state legislature. We don't have an initiative referendum process. This is a pitiful place. Um, and so I've already voted. There's one race on the ballot, my congressional race. That was it. Oh. And uh, so it's it's just and anytime I go vote, I just think that's it. That's all. <laughs> Here in Washington State, we got lots of stuff on ballots usually. I've had people respond when I've complained on Facebook or wherever and, and said, well, we have all this stuff. It's like, I'll trade. I'd rather have, I'd rather have to take a few extra minutes every two or four years or both uh, rather than go to the polls. And it's like, you decide one thing and, and I'm in a very competitive district this year, but um, you know, you're not in a competitive district. I mean, at a certain point, why do it? And, and in Virginia, we vote for six weeks. We have six weeks of early voting. So the elections are hugely expensive ads forever and ever and ever, which, which, when you have that long a period, you're you really are giving a leg up to the folks who have more money, and that's almost always the incumbent. Um, and the early voting is is also for the incumbent because usually a lot of people don't don't they don't focus on it until later, and the incumbent's going to bank a bunch of votes always, so it's it's that much tougher to catch them. In the old days, a lot of times, you know, the the challenger was catching the incumbent two days before the election, a week before the election, on election eve. Today, if you're doing that, you're losing by 10 points. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I, I would like to see elections done very differently in America than they are now. So I don't maybe like we'll, what we have. Maybe, well, maybe I'll write something about that. Yeah, because I, everything, nearly everything about elections now kind of disappoints me. Uh, and it's not just simply because I can, not just the results. Not just the results. <laughs> <laughs> Even the process is annoying. But I really don't like mail-in ballots. I, I I really don't approve of them. Uh, so, I I like people. I think I will write something about. It. I like people voting all together. I don't think you want a situation. And you, you know you can't do it time wise. There could be an asteroid hits in between, you know, one person voting and another, or or an election day admission or something. But I think you want short periods of of early voting for people who might have to travel, what have you. You want some, you know, if you have any sort of excuse, you can file something so you could vote early if you're going to be out of town extended uh, or if you're in a, a hospital. Can't get, you know, I mean, there's there's certain, ex, you know, emergencies, problems that you got to take care of for the most part. My goodness, let, 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 let's all vote somewhat together and not six weeks apart. Okay. Well. I'm glad we were able to get that last one solved right before we sign okay. off. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't know. Nothing seems very solved to me right now. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I may be just bigoted on that regard. Uh, I'm a gloom and doomer, you know. Uh, oh, so yeah. You have your glasses on so you can actually see the world. See, oh, my goodness, it's a lot worse than I thought. Yeah, yeah well, you're looking at me. So, I mean, <laughs> what can you say? 
Anyway, this is the last week of uh, October 2022. Good night and good luck. <laughs>